and welcome to Who Owns the Stars, a podcast about your favorite and mine and Kat's show, The Expanse. Today, well, I mean, I don't know if you need to speak for me in that way, but go ahead. Well, I know I'm right. This week, we have we are continuing um, our special sequence of episodes where we will be covering, reacting to season five as it comes out. So these are not big, full-blown analysis episodes like the ones you're seeing for season one right now. They're just our thoughts as the show comes out, just reacting as fans, because, oh boy, is there a lot to talk about. Kat, how are you today? Um, You know, I'm great. I've been preparing for this day for a long time. Knowing what Marco was going to do, I knew that I was going to be in a really intense position where I've been standing for so long and now he's a mass murderer. (laughs) (laughs) So I really had to steal myself and I am still comfortable where I'm at. I'm happy and I really enjoyed these episodes. I want to thank y'all for dropping them early. So you for the did record, overshadow our Twitter thread, but it's okay. For the record, we are covering episodes one through three of season five. Um, they did overshadow our Twitter thread, but I think that's okay. Uh, I, I forgive think them. It was a little more important. I was the one who woke you up because I just <laughs> caught it as it came out. Um, I think it was, what, 7 p.m. our time? Mm-hmm. on tuesday and i was like okay night booked nothing else let's cancel all our other plans um so let's talk about every there's so i can't like begin to you have more notes than me there's so much who said that you said it there's so much to start with i am gonna start out of order if you don't start soon so i'm passing the mic back to you because i i don't have anything coherent to go with Okay, then let's start with um, Amos's trip back to Baltimore. Um, that we meet him in episode Wait, actually, one. Wait, actually, I don't want to talk about Amos because I figured out what I want to talk about chronologically. <laughs> Please, girl, take it away. First of all, let's. I could see. No, I could see her face. <laughs> like as it dawned on her, I said, "Here she goes." <laughs> even as you were saying, even as you were saying, I'm gonna pass it back to you. I said, "No, you're not." Look! 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 I there is time. Oh, I didn't start the timer. By the way, these episodes will be timed because we can't talk about everything. We should not be talking about everything. I forgot to start it, so the clock starts now. There's 45 minutes on the clock. Um, let's. Okay, so here's the topic I'd like to start with. Uh, Philip, who is gonna go by Philippe until I can comfortably stand him, is a war criminal, and I'm shocked. Not only am I shocked, Are you shocked, I mean, I'm, okay, here's what I thought, here's what I thought. I'm already starting to sweat, because I'm, I'm just thinking about the exchange. She is so animated right now, y'all. I, I, I was, okay, so they open up the episode, open up the season, they do what they always do, a cool little prologue to give us a, give us a tease of what's the season's gonna be all about, and I knew Philip was coming in, I knew he was gonna make his mark. I knew we were all worried about how he'd grown up, whatever. And I was like, okay, you have a dad that's like a super villain. Yeah, but I'm sure you are going to be... I always, I, I assumed he was going to be one of those characters where, like, he's on his way to being kind of bad, but he hasn't done anything, um, like, 
uh, irredeemable yet. You know what I mean? I have not a clue why you believed that. I just assumed. I just assumed because he was like, how old is I he? I love your optimism. I how do. old is he in this show? He's, He's like, like 16, 17. No. Okay. First of all, let's not lie. That man is a strong 25. I'm not talking about the actor though. I think Philip is still supposed to be a teenager. At least maybe I'm just thinking because he was a teenager in Nemesis games. Mm. So I don't recall if they specified his age here. He looks a little, I feel, I get the feeling that he's a little, at least like, you know, like a strong post-grad. Like there is, there is, I don't see a teenager in him. But then that's even, then that's I feel on me. like you have even less of a reason to be optimistic if you thought he was that old. But you know, like standing in the shadow of your father and all that. I was definitely like, oh, this kid, like this season is going to be him, you know, trying to prove that he could be the bad guy. But and then Naomi will come in and make him question everything and he won't be the you know I saw those little clips in the trailer he's like looking at the gun and looking pens I was like I see what's happening here boy did I not see what was happening here they open up in the first five minutes it's a massacre of just I I don't I don't know how to take that so my son our son rather everyone's (laughs) son is not that redeemable so I don't know where to go from here. Thoughts? Well, my thoughts on Philip. I think that he's very dedicated to the cause. And I think that he's actually, and this is a transition into one of the notes that I did have available. So okay. thank you okay. for letting me pick up on that. Okay. I think that Philip is our newest example of what it looks like when a sense of patriotism or being dedicated to a cause turns into an almost religious fanaticism. Mm. Go on. Um, When, after the massacre, while we're still reeling from that, one of the men in his crew gets... I'm going to be honest, I was not exactly sure what was happening with him, but... He gets stuck, and Philip has the option to save him or leave him. And Philip says that he's going to leave him because they don't have time to save him. Oh my God! And then he says, (laughs) "Oh my God, it gets worse." Um, I will tell my father what you did, and he'll be proud of you. Now that broke my heart a little bit, but I was also sitting here like, "What the hell is he supposed to do with that?" Because, listen, I love Marco down, but his pride does nothing for me in death. But when you put it, when you put it with that phrasing, it really reminds me of the way that the Martians talk about terraforming. And you get these sort of religious parallels where the way that Philip says that, it sounds as though... Philip, not Philip, but Marco, and for his death in the same way that, say, a Christian God rewards someone who was willing to die for their faith. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was really fascinating. It's less about the cause and and more about Marco as, like, this godlike figure. Exactly. And I think Marco's absence in these three episodes also plays into that 
we don't get to see him. Ugh, I'm doing this off the cuff. I should edit this out because it's going to sound like <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> no, go on, go on. But his absence in these three episodes really feels like an absent God. I don't know how to put it. You feel his presence even though he's not exactly. there. And I think, well, one thing that's good is that it was nice that we still met him in season four. Like, they easily could have just saved his appearance at, like, his debut, basically, until this uh, third or the next episode. But I like that we sort of met him and we almost, like, had a false idea of, like, how dangerous he, like, how dangerous could he really be? And and then, of course, like, what happens next? But that it that that's it's an interesting like fake out and so that in this sequence when he's not here because we've already met him we kind of feel like oh well, like if his presence is so monumental and what we've seen of him so far isn't not that it's not terrible it's just not super villain levels like what could be happening next what comes next and that's a lot, especially for a man under six feet. So I appreciate it. <laughs> um, I'm going to take that as a cue to into the next topic. Um, what's next on your notes? I have a totally different uh, section. We watched this together and we did not, neither of us decided to take like serious notes. <laughs> and oh you no, could I couldn't tell you. I could I could not tell you what happened. Like if you this is why I didn't want to go like into detailed episode summaries because if you asked me whether something happened in episode 1, 2 or 3, I couldn't tell you. I wouldn't know. Just watched them continuously. It was wonderful. It's a giant blur. It was really nice. So I'm going to take that and bring up my next point which I think is really cool. This is something I noticed across all three um all three mm-hmm. episodes. So in I think this is episode 1. Holden's at the bar, switching gears for a second. Um, Holden's at the bar, he's drunk, he's alone, blah, 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 whatever. Um, And the bar is playing, I can safely say, I think it's Indian music, or like some derivative of Indian music, because the singer's in Hindi. And I think that's really cool, because the last time we heard that to sort of imply like a belter, like what kind of culture came with the belters, that was back in season one. I think it's been a very long time since we've heard music as a source of culture. So it was really cool to see that. I think in general, also, I'm really going to be jumping around in this. I apologize in advance. In general, this season so far feels really like season one. And I think it's because from that first episode, you're first of all, you're already split into like six different storylines. And luckily, we're at the point where, like, I can watch that. And, oh, my God, the information was overwhelming. That's part of the reason I can't remember much that happened because there was so much that happened. But it was one of those things where I watched mm-hmm. it and I was like, okay, in, like, three, four, five episodes, things are going to come back together and everything is going to have, like, their reason for being a plot. Like, the mystery is going to come together. And that felt very, very season one to me. Um but that is not the point I was trying so, like, to make. Well, no, the but when you say make... that, because I feel like we're having the same thought. When you say mm-hmm. that, are you thinking like along the lines of Abasarala and Drummer and other people kind of slowly putting together what Marco's plan was? That's, yeah. I mean, I, I really thought it on a really shallow level of just like everybody's split mm-hmm. up and they're all going to see what's happening, but nobody, everybody is going to have to work to come back together. Mm-hmm. 
And the biggest example of that, of course, is uh, the Rossi crew. Mm-hmm. They're like they're the only people who haven't split up mostly mm-hmm. for the entire show, with the exception of Naomi, of course. Um, and so for them to split up, it really feels like everybody's off in their own direction. Right. And so for me, my next question is, okay, well, how do we get you guys back together again? And the only time that's really happened is season one, where even if the crew in season one was together, they like metaphorically through the power of friendship had to learn to come together even if they were like physically in the same space but yeah you're right it's also you've got this like undercurrent of a plot which is and again this is due to like marco's presence but not being there within these three episodes everybody's like there's this slow idea of like something's happening but it's just on the edge and you and it doesn't really like affect anybody yet but then you have like you said avasarela you have drummer Mm -hmm. um you have other people I'm, I'm yeah i don't remember i'm like getting caught up because i'm like wasn't monica captured and almost murdered but i was like that's protomolecule related and it's protomolecule stuff like connected to mark so here's my by the but, way here's my theory go on i think i've spiraled enough <laughs> i mean i was listening to it happen but no i just wanted to cut in to say that it kind of reminded me of everyone slowly learning about Eros as it was happening and having those mm. different pieces of the puzzle puzzle as to what led up to it and why there's suddenly this big-ass space station. Sorry, Nina's dad. <laughs> <laughs> he won't listen because he hasn't watched uh, the season yet. Oh, perfect. This big-ass space station that's flying towards Earth. So we get this parallel of this huge threat from outer space shout out to avasaral in season one i worry about people who throw rocks mm-hmm. hurtling towards earth and everyone is in separate areas trying to figure out either how it happened or what they can do to stop it and but this is an accelerated version of it so where they had the time to put a stop to that then here we are watching this countdown happen and knowing that there's no way for them to stop it yeah it's actually interesting that you bring up the countdown because i was just watching the like after show that uh, the the cast and crew are doing um and thomas jane who directs episode three he was saying how he would put these little details in the production so that like you felt like you were counting down to something but you didn't know what or maybe the audience knew but obviously the characters didn't know and so you would see things like um like he said he wanted a scene where Naomi walks into a room and there's a clock above her and it's ticking but he was like obviously there's no clock in that kind of scenario so I don't remember if you I don't know if you remember the scene Mm -hmm. where she comes into the bar for the first time on Palace Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's this huge thing over her and it's like time till next shift change mm-hmm. and so thomas jane used that to to like give the idea of a countdown um but almost in like a meta way so that we know that like something is counting down but obviously nobody else does and nobody else sees that shift as a as a tool of counting down that was completely lost on me sorry thomas well um i <laughs> I forgot what I was gonna say ten seconds ago. Um, where did I spiral? I hit onto um, Monica. Oh, oh, okay. So here's my theory, and that was—I'll get to my other point before that. But my theory, or not even my theory, my question 
am I supposed to assume that Marco is the only villain of season five, or am I supposed to think that there is a second, like, protomolecule-related issue going on? Because I'm, like, I... Well, now that I'm saying it, I've been on the Reddit threads, and some people are not tagging their spoilers, and I have read some things, and I'm like, those are not words that I have heard yet, so it sounds like something's happening that I shouldn't be knowing is happening. So I just answered my questions. So I'm going to move on to my right, next. Because I'm what I was about you... to say was like, girl, when you ask these questions, it makes it so hard for me <laughs> to not, I you know, I... jump into spoiling you. I'm excited. I love a bit I love a bit of a two-pronged villain, very Teen Wolf, very classic. But my original point I was trying to bring up at least 5-10 minutes ago was that uh, you have the bar that Holden and Monica are at. That's like the Belcher bar, I guess, because they're on Tycho Station. Then you have um, when Alex goes to Mars and meets Bobby, they're at a bar. And the music that plays is like very cowboy music, but it's sung. The lyrics are sung, um, I assume, like Mandarin Chinese. Um, and then you go to Luna, which is a very like Earth atmosphere. And it's um, like a very like bright, white, mm-hmm. clean bar. Um, it's very like upscale and it's like old jazz music. So it's, there's no, you know, culture mixing there. It's, it's like, it's almost like exactly what you'd expect from a type of, from any space bar in any space right. show. Whereas the the Mars and the Belter one are, are more like expanse bars, if that makes sense. So I thought that was really interesting, and but those were like across all three episodes, so I don't know like if the creators intended to like have this little like thread between all three, but that was something the that thread like, of the music topic. or the contrast between portraying like a grounded culture. I would, I, I would say like all of mm-hmm. that. So like you know they're in the Belter Bar. Here's what that experience right. is like. Here's what being in the Martian Bar is like. Here's what being in in the Luna Bar is like. It was just it was just like interesting. No, it was. It was really exciting. And it was just nice to have a bunch of different locations this season after spending the vast majority of season four on Illus, which was beautiful. And then, like, very closed off spaces on Earth and Mars. Mm. Mm, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, not to bring the pun in that everyone else has, but it really does feel expansive. <laughs> Like I'm, and I and I'm not even saying that as a joke. I'm like this show genuinely, you know. When I see people starting season one, I'm like, you don't even know what you don't, what you haven't perceived yet. Like the show at this point and the show at the beginning are just two completely different set pieces, and it's so strange watching it get to that point. And I'll also allow the one and time the turning point will- for that is season three, which is why more of y'all should have voted for season three in my poll. But it's okay. <laughs> but they didn't. The one, the other thing I'll say is that I'll allow for once in my life, I will allow people to compare this show to Game of Thrones. I'm sure the they're very grateful that it. you're allowing it. Well, you know what? Hey, but you all better get in where you can before she revokes her permission. Seriously, like it's it's you know it's not every day that I'll I'll give that kind of blessing, um, and I'll, the reason I will allow it is because there are like nine different locations per episode. There are episodes where characters are not even. I didn't even realize while I was watching episode two 
I didn't even realize while I was watching episode two that um that Naomi and Drummer are just not there. And I was like, these are my two favorite characters. Why am I watching this episode? But I was like, not gonna stop, obviously. But I I was just it's I see what's happening. I understand the course of the narrative. I'm glad that you see what's happening. Can you tell me what you're seeing? <laughs> Let's move on to the next topic. My, what's your next? You have more notes than me. I said I had a but, couple um, of notes. Okay, okay. So I'll go to my next note and you fill in with your notes. All, <laughs> all I have left. Okay, here's what I've written. So she knew it that she was says, at the end of her rope and that's why she was trying to pass it back. It just says... 30 and jobless. Who do you think I'm talking about? <laughs> um, okay, well, I feel like the main crew has to be more than 30 now. But Holden mentioned being, like, on furlough or something, right? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm talking about Holden. <laughs> I just remember, I don't know what it was. Obviously, I can't tell you a scene. But there was something where just, like, he was so miserable with himself. And I was it like the scene where he Col- went to go check to see if the crew had messaged him and literally nobody had? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think it was before that. I feel like it was something where Fred Johnson was like, he called him a broke boy or something. Um, they <laughs> had a scene so and Fred funny. Johnson was like, you need to relax. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so that's why Speaking I Speaking of now. Fred Johnson. Frederick Lucius Johnson the fourth. See, I feel like this is going up. to foreshadow our disagreements in season two. Okay. Because I really felt like he was making wrong decision after wrong decision. In this episode? Or in this section? And yes, in these three episodes, it felt like from jump, he was not taking Holden seriously. And I'll say, I understand that urge. But... <laughs> See, girl, you can't laugh, you know, when I make a joke because then I'm going to laugh at my own jokes. Mm, well, what can I say? We're entertainers. I mean, above all, if nothing else, we entertain ourselves. But mm-hmm. we got 25 minutes left. Pick up the pace. <laughs> no, but Fred Johnson, I'm just sitting here like we have already confronted one alien threat. Sort of. And Holden is sitting here literally telling you about another one. And you're really just brushing it off. That was very odd to me. And aside from that, even as Holden is talking about this proto-molecule and Fred Johnson is blowing off the possibility that somebody could get hold of it in some way, in the back of my mind, I'm sitting here like, this has already happened to you once. So what mm-hmm. safeties have you, or precautions have you taken to make sure it doesn't happen again? Especially when mm-hmm. two episodes later, he has to acknowledge that somebody in his crew is working against him. By the way, I think it's the security guard that always comes into the room with him and Holden and Bull. Bull. I just But you think I it is Bull things? or you think it's someone who is not No, no, Bull? no, no. no. No, I, I think it's the security guard who comes. Like It's like there's, there's oh, always he's in the background. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, I've seen this before. I know how this works. They keep being like, somebody in our secret circle. I'm like, there's a fourth man in this room and he hasn't spoken yet. Don't tell me that he's not important here. So I think it's him. I honestly feel like it is Bull. Yeah, that'd be the easier option. 
but I would say that my feelings about that are coming from the fact that I know of the character named Bull in the books. And I'm not going to take it any further from there. But he was not in okay. book five. Next topic. Um, I will do. I do really want to talk about this one scene with Amos. Yeah. Yes. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's give Amos his due. Oh no! Please, girl, don't come back now. Like you care about Amos because I tried to talk about him twenty minutes ago, and you said no. We're not going there. I t- I care. I care about him. I just there were other things that I needed to get out of the way. Otherwise, I would have never. Like we just needed to set the scene. You know, Amos is roaming around. That that doesn't set the scene for me. But let's talk about it. So I actually wanted to talk about him on his trip to Earth when yeah. he tries to protect the people that he's bunking with and then he ends up getting into a fight with the people who are trying to extort them. Mm-hmm. I thought that the scene where he reflects back on fighting them was really interesting in the editing. I wonder if in the script he it was meant to be... Um, aired that way or if the director filmed the fight scene and then filmed Amos's reaction to it and then chose to edit them together because the that's exactly what happened <laughs> I was I no, I was watching the after show and they talked about this specific scene oh my god I love that you gotta that. keep up you gotta keep okay, up okay here's they the thing exactly- we got so much content in such a short period of time it was really overwhelming guys um, but just to to give context, you're right. So what they did is they filmed the full fight scene and then um, they went in and edited it so that you only saw like bits and pieces so that you were more focused on like Amos's kind of like reflection on it. I love that. I'm going to go back and watch those over the weekend. And that will hopefully inform our full season five episode since Nina said we're not allowed to do one. Anyways... oh wow okay no continue i had more to say about amos but it's your ball now thank you but i really like the way it was filmed and that editing it made it feel like it was a traumatic event almost and that perspective is really fascinating to me because i feel like it adds depth to the instances where amos commits acts of violence because thus far we've always been We've always had the idea that Amos doesn't really feel any sort of way about them as they're happening. Mm -hmm. And yet, when we get this scene five seasons in, it looks like it's having a really serious impact on him. Because it's not, he's not triumphant at all. Yeah. Well, the idea, according to the, to what the, the creator said, is that there's this looming thing over him that he's grieving. Mm -hmm. That he's that his you know Lydia, who is his I guess his surrogate mother at one point, um, died. So like the one person who who was good to him, and so Amos like doesn't know how to grieve like a quote unquote normal person, and so the only way he knows how to express how he's feeling is to take it out through violence. Even though, like you said, we know that Amos is not the kind of person. Amos is not like he doesn't like to be violent mm-hmm. he sees it as like a means to an end but he sees it as the only means to right. the end um and that's really really interesting but he is i think the idea is that he's he's grieving and so he's he's acting out basically because he didn't have to beat up those guys i think is, is the point at the end right. of the day 
but he did because he doesn't know how else to express like what he's going through oh thank you so much that's what they pay you the big bucks for girl yes sir is there anything else you wanted to say about amos uh 20 minutes girl come on I know. I think I've got to go through like the episode timeline because once we get to two and you start talking about episode two, I'll be like, okay, now I remember this. I'm gonna so I'm gonna stick to episode one and then bounce back to Amos whenever I remember because there's a lot well, of stuff. My on. notes are Actually, not in like a solid episode by episode order. So. Oh, this must be so fun for people listening to us. Okay, one other thing I was thinking about Amos. Okay, a couple things. Um, when he's in Baltimore and he's watching like the mother and the son huddle under that little whatever in the street i thought that was like him actually seeing somebody it turns out that he's like seeing himself Mm -hmm. because there's this one moment where he follows some the lackey of eric and then the camera pans back to that section where the mom and the son should be and they're not there i didn't catch that until after somebody had said that that's one two um baby amos uh Really, they knew what they were doing there, and I, I, I was, I was captured. I was so sad. But well, go really ahead. Why don't you tell us your reaction to finding out his name? <laughs> I should have started with that. No, see, that's episode two, and in episode two, I just have full caps: one, two, three, four, five, six question marks. Timmy, that is exactly what she said, like two or three times. I look. I mean, can you blame me? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not calling him Timmy. I'm not calling him Timothy. I would have even been like, like Thomas. I'd have been like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Timmy. You. I mean, Whatever. look. He took Amos Burton's name. He looks like an Amos, so it was meant to be. He really does. He really does. But what I wanted to get to was that the scene between Baby Amos and Lydia. Um, first of all, props to to that actress. I I don't know who she had like a thirty second scene, and that is like one of the most one of the scenes that stood out to me of the episode because she has this monologue and she's like she's referring to something that Amos went through at that moment. I don't exactly know what, um, and she's saying like what you went through was like really like fucked up, um, and the normal mom would tell you that you have to be kind no matter what in this world. And then she kind of goes into this thing where she's like, but I'm, I'm not going to do, she's like, I can't do that. I'm not that kind of person. I'm going to tell you to like, you know, basically spite the world and be that angry person. Um, And then she has this interesting part where she's like, but you can pretend I'm that mom and I can pretend that you'll turn out that way. And like, we'll see what happens. And I thought that was such an interesting take because it really could have gone down the way where, you know, Lydia taught him how to have a moral compass and she was such a good, kind mom and the woman dies. But I actually was really, really struck by the angle that they took where she has her own type of morals and she she is herself a complicated character. And we literally know nothing more than that, than like what we've seen. And yet still, that's such like an impactful character to me. No, she was great, and I I hope that we get to get at least one more flashback with her. Um, I feel like when we finish the season and really put it into the context of the show overall, we'll have a lot more thoughts about the layers underneath what she says. Mm-hmm. But as for now, all I really have is, wow, that was cool. 
as for now, we have 16 minutes left, so let's run somewhere else. Okay, um, we didn't talk about Naomi much. We didn't. Let's, I, there's, not a lot of people are talking about Naomi, because there's so much going on there. Um, I think she's really being overshadowed by, by um, Philip and Marco, which is why people are not putting as much attention on her. But we will. So Kat, the floor is yours. Um, it's really fascinating to watch how Naomi's hair changes. Mm-hmm. I feel like we she had her mohawk for quite a long time, but the shape of it changes when in season three when we she gets to be around Belters again, and we also see her tattoos displayed more prominently. And then for season four, I wasn't sure what it meant that she cut her hair. I feel like. I think Dom- that's what I was about to say. Like, I think Dom just cut her hair and that was that. I think she was tired. <laughs> but it's also, I can see it as like, you know, a fresh start because mm-hmm. season four really feels like a clean slate. Mm-hmm. And so watching her change her hair again, because she is once again, actively trying to fit in with Belters. That was really cool. And there is this whole idea with Naomi, I think, that we've seen, honestly, since the beginning of the show, where it's very much, you can't go home again. So she mm-hmm. can wear what she's supposed to wear. She can do her hair differently. But everyone is still not going to accept her the way they would have years ago. Because, mm-hmm. they like, she has fundamentally changed in a way that they don't understand. And I like that this is, I think, the first time that they've shown us her actually, like, making the change. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the first time she really, like, code switches, basically, is in season three. And by the time we see that, she's already done mm-hmm. it. Her accent has already changed. Her hair has already changed. Um, but we we never see, and, and most of the times when she switches, it's really seamless. But we never see her, like, consciously decide to do things or wear things differently or, or or do her hair like she does here and it's literally that split second of her like twisting her hair and I'm like I see what's mm-hmm. happening and I love it I just I love that detail no it was great um I thought her scene um, with her very short scene with Philip was honestly oh. devastating from the moment that like she's sitting there looking kind of anxious not only because she's mm-hmm. gonna see him again because you know she just got snatched up but Aside from that, when he walks in and they see each other, their expressions are heartbreaking because oh. he he looks like a kid who is just seeing a parent who they're really angry with and yet they've missed. And then you can see him kind of try and readjust and steal himself and be that, you know, angry or resolute young man again and shut her right back and out. It- and I'm, I will I'll let you win this one, but wow, it is really like looking in a mirror. I admit <laughs> I was wrong. They really got the casting. I mean, and it's like, it's not that it's uncanny, but it's like all the right features are were hit. You know what I mean? So they're not identical, but the things that like you identify about Naomi are in Philip. And so it's just weird. It's like in The Flash. When you look at um, Iris and Barry and their daughter, I guess spoilers if you've never watched The Flash. Honestly, our roles are reversed here because I didn't see what y'all were seeing with The Flash. I didn't. Okay, so that's on the record. 
but I didn't like but, that uh, season of The Flash, no way. So, <laughs> but it's 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 just it's just so, and it helps because and so they they talked about this scene too in the um in the after show, and there's a couple details I want to bring up that are really interesting, um and I'm trying to be conscious of time because I I'm trying to save the best for last, um but. Um, one thing they do is that they they film the confrontation sort of in a spiral so that it feels like Naomi's sort of being circled. The other thing is that when they start the scene, um, the way that they directed it is that Naomi's been at the bar for a while. She's been drinking. She's been alone. Philip comes in, and it seems like he's about to um, walk past mm-hmm. her. And so he has to, like, he almost makes the conscious decision to double back and and kind of be like, okay, I'm, like, I'm going to go through with this. Okay, so he um, was originally intending to avoid her. Okay. Kind of, yeah. I, I but I, the reason I ask that. is because when I was watching, I wasn't sure if he was consciously trying to avoid her or he was intending on walking through and then he, like, really processed that she was right there. Mm-hmm. I, th- oh, um, I don't know. Either way, it's 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 nice to see that conflict play mm-hmm. out, basically. Um, but also, uh, cussing out your mother that violently, Philip, Philippe, let's relax. <laughs> let's cu- t- take it down a notch. Oh my God. Good lord. He's lucky that Naomi is a softie, because let it have been my mother. <laughs> <laughs> let it have been literally anyone else. Ooh, girl. I mean, I get, I get it. I, I, I mean, and from I his like, perspective, sympathize. I understand where he's coming from. Alternatively, yeah. we already, as the audience, have the knowledge that it's way more complicated than what his understanding is. Because, well, actually, oh, go ahead. No, oh. go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say one thing that I thought when they brought up that scene is I was like, oh, maybe my understanding of what happened is wrong, because from what we have been told by Naomi, she had her mm-hmm. son. Uh, she left Marco and then Marco took him from her and then she tried to find him and then she couldn't. But the way they play this scene, it comes off very like, you left me behind. You abandoned mm-hmm. me. And usually I was and I was expecting her to be like, no, I tried to find you or, you know, your father tried to take me. And she didn't say any mm-hmm. of that. And I was like, am I being gaslighted? Like, is Naomi an unreliable narrator? And I think she, I'm sure at some point she is. I think she's but- unreliable in that because of her guilt because there's with a parent there's always going to be the idea i should have done more i should have tried harder and we could eat we already know that that's how her mind works because even when they escaped eros she spent the next season and a half going yeah we saved some people but we should have tried harder to save more so Mm -hmm. i what i think happened and albeit this is coming from reading the description of what happened in Nemesis Games. Mm-hmm. Um, they blow up the Augustine Gamara. Naomi reacts poorly to it because she didn't intend on killing anyone. Marco's kind of mm-hmm. like, I mean, girl, we got to keep it moving, you know? <laughs> and she goes into a depression and then she decides that she's going to leave Marco. In response, he takes Philip away and hides him with a series of like friends in their group and keeps telling them that she's she's depressed or she's lost her mind. So none of them are willing to let her see Philip and she realizes that her only option is to leave. Wow. 
And so that's my understanding of what happened. And it it is in line with Drummer, even back in season four, going, um, you made her a killer and then you stole her baby. Wow. That's hard. That's and and I mean, I, I read someone saying this, but I feel like Naomi's one of the only people where like you're seeing the survivor's side of what's happened. And you're seeing like just the toll that it's taken on her after all these years. So I they've told us, but this season is going to be very, very, very emotional for her. And I am very, very eager to see where they go with it. That being said, we have seven minutes and 30 seconds. Okay, left. so let's so hit the big one go. Okay, hold on, hold on. Well, one thing I want to say, though, I think people are a little too harsh on Nancy Gao. And I think they need to dial it back just a bit. Um, I'll leave it at that. Because I don't, I, I think we all know that Abasarala is not perfect. We know she's not the best leader for Earth because we saw that she wasn't. And I think we should think of everybody as a combination of morally gray traits, including Nancy, including Abasarala. Okay, moving on. Um, oh, well, I had more to say about Abasarala. Okay, I'm skipping it. We don't have the time. We don't have the time. See if you um, can I also it wrote- in next, um, next recording session. Oh my god. Okay, I wrote, I wrote, I just wrote in full You're panicking crack. over a timer that you say. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I wrote full caps. I wrote prax, underline. I think I know why I wrote that. I can't refer why. It was in episode two, and it must have been some scene with Amos where he was repeating something that he essentially, oh, oh, he, he, he talked about, he said something about how, there was a conversation, including him, this where it talked so about chaotic. how, how kids hold on hold on how kids are are like chewed up by the streets and then spit back out and the way it was written or said i was like hold on a second amos has definitely said this to prax when they were on um when they went back to ganymede to 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 look for um to look for may Mm -hmm. and because i remember he was like guys like him they take little girls and i was like hold on so i just want to put that a pin in that because I just, I I have no reason to. I just like Prax, and I want to bring him in whenever I can. Understood. Okay. Now, we've got five minutes and 40 seconds left. Let's talk about, I think, easily the star of the show right now. Kamina Drummer. <laughs> First of her name. Protector of the realm. Mother of pirates? I don't know the other term ter- terminologies or titles, but let's path, huh? let's please let's talk about her. I'll let you start because I have dominated this episode. Um, let's talk about how Kamina was giving us vibes in season three, and I saw it. We all saw it. I we said, knew. "Hold on!" We knew. So Naomi, kind of her girl, huh? And I we thought, knew. okay, I guess we're not really gonna go into this. And then they slapped us in the face with it. They really, d- I. <laughs> My girl, she, had, she, yeah, she got a boyfriend, but yeah, she got a girlfriend too. <laughs> um, we saw and her with her hair thing. down as well. Yes. Um, she's dominating uh, these space streets. She's a she's pirating. Um, a lot of people have actually said they're curious, like, it feels like a regression for her character. I didn't totally feel like it was a regression for her character. 
I feel like if like if it was, it would make sense because she's grieving because Ashford is dead and she feels responsible for that. And she'll feel she also feels responsible for Marco being alive. But I also think for her being like, you know, I'm out of politics, I'm not doing this anymore, the dream of the belt is dying. I think it's fair for her to say, like, I think it's fair for her to 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 think that I'm I'm gonna retreat mm-hmm. essentially. I'm gonna go back to what I know. Um, because I can't do, I can't play the politician anymore. Right. So I, I want to get that out of the way because I feel like it's, it's, I personally believed it. It was definitely like a little jarring, but the whole first episode was super jarring because there was a lot happening. And there was and, a lot basically to adjust, a time. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think that's okay. Um, going off of that, there is just so much, I've been, I've just been, she's just my favorite character, man. I don't know what else I can say. There's so much that I find fascinating about her. I think the thing I'll focus on for the next three minutes is that her, her like sort of grieving stage mm-hmm. where it was, I loved that scene where she like wakes up, she gets out of bed, her hair is down. Which I don't think and, we've seen it uh, down before. We have Even not. She's been injured. Um, like It's funny that the makeup was still on. <laughs> Damn. What are you using? Um, so she, she, uh, her hair's down. She's like very sad, and what I and she's I vulnerable in a way it. that we've never seen her be before. Even when she was, admitted, I would say at her saddest when Naomi left and back in season three. Yeah, I think there was always hints of it, and I I always think back to that scene she had with Ashford where they're caught in that I don't know big truck situation, and Ashford's like, oh, what was your deadliest whatever. Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, I almost died because I... I, Died of a broken heart. Yeah, I drank myself to death, basically. And so that scene where she's got her hair down and she's looking at the bottle of alcohol that she was going to have with Ashford, and there's this moment where she, like, opens it, and I'm like, oh, we're going to do this. Like, we're going to have her come back to her... I would say it's an addiction, probably. Some kind of, like, connection to grief. And then she closes it. I'm like, oh, we're going to get complex. This is so exciting. Um, and then she moves to giving the message to Fred, which, by the way, it's giving me time is short and I'll be brief. Let's pass around this message between Ashford and Marco and let's do what we did in season three. I think it's interesting um, but- that Fred Johnson and Ava Sorales still apparently reach out to each other, at least in the- <laughs> like going back from season one. That they have each other on their like speed dial. Uh, I like that she said, you know, it's not my fight. I I think it's an interesting admission. I'm just very, very curious because she, to me, represents the most complex part of the whole Belter identity. There's so much, and I'm not going to go into it because we literally do not have time. So with 60 seconds left, Kat, would you like to round it out with anything you want to talk about? Um, All I want to say is... If you made it through this episode, I feel like that makes you automatically one of our biggest fans. <laughs> the way I'm panicking right no, now. I don't know. This is the time limit that you set. And you, the way you're it's sweating. Important. It's, important. it's important that we don't get out all the details because then there's no point to have a bigger episode in the future. So okay. I'm sticking to it. I'm believing in it. It's for it's It's like eating your vegetables. It's good for us. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, If you have anything to say or you just want to shoot the shit with us, you can email us at whoownsthestarspod at gmail.com 
or you can hit us up on Twitter. I don't remember our Twitter handle, but it will be. <laughs> our Twitter handle is who owns the stars. And that's it. All right. Y'all have a great night. And we'll see you next week. Check out episodes three and four of season one, which we forgot to plug, which will also be coming out with this episode. Yay. Okay. Bye. Bye.